Brian has been preaching on uh, the three sixteens of the Bible, and uh, uh, the last one was to be from Second Thessalonians chapter three, uh, verse sixteen, and uh, it's uh, a very simple one, a very typical uh, conclusion to a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And, of course, similar to other letters that he wrote to individuals as well as as to churches. And it simply reads, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all, with all of you. He's seeking God to provide peace in our lives. And uh, at times that can be a challenge. Several, uh, several years ago, on Canadian television, an interviewer asked several people on the streets of downtown Winnipeg what they thought of the political performance of Darcy McGee as a cabinet member. Now, the interviewer neglected to mention that McGee had served and had since died in in 1868. And so, no doubt, the passerbyers not unnaturally thought that uh, they were being asked about the performance of a current political figure. But only a few admitted that they had no clue who McGee was. Most people replied with answers like, oh, he's all right, I guess, for a liberal. Or they would reply, terrible, just terrible. Then others would say, what? He's not. He's not as bad as so-and-so. And better yet, one said, I saw him on the other night on television, but I haven't really decided about him yet. <laughs> there, there are a lot of things in life that we find ourselves bluffing our way through. Someone calls on the telephone, and we don't know who it is. And so what do we do? We make small talk while we try to figure out who we're talking to. Or we run into someone who greets us warmly, but we can't remember who they are. Ah, you've been there, haven't you? You've done that, right. So what do we do? We ask, so what are you doing now? Or how long has it been? You're hoping that these particular answers uh, will give us a clue that we can use. Or perhaps uh, people are... Ask, have you ever heard of such and such? And uh, we might find ourselves saying something like, I think I've heard of the name, but don't know much about the details, when uh, really in truth, uh, we don't know what they're talking about <laughs> or who they're talking about. And, uh, and have you ever, you know, not been paying attention to part of a conversation 
and now, and uh, we're being asked a question. And, uh, and oftentimes we, we try to bluff our way through. I know I found myself in ministry, early on especially, I've learned since then, not to sit in visiting someone in their home, what, being able to see the TV. If you can all possibly get away from the TV because there were, there's been several embarrassing times when, you know, people are talking and for some reason the TV's caught your attention and they get quiet and they say, what do you think? And you don't realize what they've been talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, anyway, we, we, we find ourselves, I think, at times bluffing our way through some uh, embarrassing situations. But this can also happen, I think, in our spiritual endeavors. Can we not sit in Sunday school class or worship centers, center and nod understandingly, even though we have no idea what they're, uh, what, what's being said? Or we find ourselves... We talk about intimacy with God because it just sounds spiritual, but we really don't know what it is. Or we may talk about the importance of being a Christian, but we aren't really sure what that means. We tend to be bluffing when we talk about the peace of God, I believe. And that's the topic of this 316. We talk about, we preach about, and testify to what the scripture says as the peace that passes understanding. But so oftentimes we spend a good portion of our lives churning and fretting and working hard hoping to someday experience peace of some kind, any kind. It's interesting that here the Apostle Paul is asking for God to give his readers God his peace. But Jesus, in the upper room, uh, in trying to bring calm to his disciples because he was about to go to the cross and he was trying to prepare them for all of that. And in the upper room, in, that, uh, uh, in what he was sharing with them, we find in John chapter 16, verse 33, these words. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so this morning... Our goal is to be honest. Our goal is to find the peace we have been searching for. And I want to share two biblical principles that we find in Jesus' words as we hitchhike off of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. But this, this, these words of Jesus, I, I want to share two biblical truths that I think are obvious, but so oftentimes missed. And then I hope to be able to give you some simple principles for, for opening the door 
to, feet, to, to peace. First of all, the biblical uh, truths. And first we learn from Jesus' words that life will have its difficulties. Will have its difficulties. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation or you will have trouble. And here, here's an unclaimed promise, I believe, that I, if I've ever heard one. Because Jesus tells it, tells us that it is not, will not be easy living for him in the world. Now, we all know that this is a marketing blunder on the part of our Savior. The way to get followers is not to tell them how tough it's going to be, but you tell them the positives. You don't tell them to count the cost. You tell them that they just have to believe. And Paul at other times has been no help. He says, all who desire, in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus was not concerned about marketing. He was concerned about the truth. And he tells it like it is. And we need to listen. And because of our reluctance to hear these words, we, may, we, we have many, I believe, dysfunctional believers. We have somehow come to believe that hard times come because of our lack of faithfulness. When a difficulty comes into our lives, what's the first question that we ask? We say, what have I done to deserve this? We are convinced that a good Christian would not have, you know, these kinds of problems. And so we're not, we're not only feeling deficient, but we find ourselves becoming isolated because we, f we feel struggle is not a part of the mature Christian life. We find ourselves pretending things are okay. Everything's going well, even when they aren't. We put on our phony smile, we pretend to be on top of things, and all the while we wonder if our spouse is going to be there when we return. If the home, we wonder if the home is going to be foreclosed on. We wonder if our children or our grandchildren, you know, are, are you know, are really doing drugs. We wonder if God could possibly love me after the most recent failure, and so on and so on and so on. So oftentimes we feel like failures. We isolate ourselves and then we preach this fairy tale gospel to others. Folks, the result is great disillusionment when trials come. People come to Christ thinking that they won't have any more problems. The problem comes, and then they conclude that the gospel doesn't work. We must hear what Jesus is saying. Life will have difficult times. 
We all know that. We've been through many of them. And it makes perfect sense if you really think about it. Our values as Christians are different, and so the world is annoyed by us, is it not? Our lives reveal the emptiness, I think, of those around us, and they resent us. We proclaim the need of a Savior in a fiercely independent world, and they reject us. We have taken our stand with Christ and against the devil, and the devil finds himself seeking to silence us. And not only these things, but some of the best, le- some of the best lessons we learned come from the various tough times, the trials in our lives. And so if you think about it, persecution, difficulty, hardship are to be naturally expected in the life of a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus said. The second biblical truth is that our confidence in difficult times is based in Christ and not ourselves. Jesus is the only one who has what you and I are looking for. He is the only one who can turn our lives around. He alone is Savior. Jesus is the only one who has overcome the world. And he's done so by living a sinless life in a sin-saturated world. He's done so by showing his power over nature and disease. He's done so by standing up to his enemies without flinching. And Jesus has overcome the world by going to the cross willingly as our substitute to pay our debt to the Father. And by rising from the dead and overcoming the world's strongest weapon, the grave. Folks, in the difficult time, our our strength is not found in what we do or have done. Our strength is in the Lord. John is one, in one of his letters, in 1 John chapter 4, he says it well. And I hope that you find yourself claiming that promise. I know I have from time to time. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Our peace is not anchored in our goodness, but in his grace. Indeed, our confidence in difficult times is based in Christ, not ourselves. So, these are the biblical truths. So, again, we can find ourselves nodding with approval, say, yeah, or an amen, without ever grappling what of the question, having known the truth, how do I begin to apply it in my day-to-day life? And I hope to give you a few guidelines. A, 
We must remember that we choose how we respond to our circumstances. Have you ever heard, or maybe we've used the phrase, I can't help the way I'm feeling. But in reality, that isn't true. We decide how we're going to respond, don't we? Most of the time, this choice, yes, is sub or semi-conscious. And if we want to know God's peace on a practical level, then we have to make the choice conscious. Notice that Jesus said, take heart. It's an imperative. It's a command. And we must decide to respond with courage, strength, and trust. Let me give you an example. You're sitting at the dinner table. The family is being silly, as I assume most families are from time to time. And in the process, one of the kids gets caught unprepared and has milk come out his nose. And you can respond in one of two ways. You can laugh or you can scold. Which do you choose? It depends, doesn't it? On some occasions, you will laugh until you ache. And at other times, you'll respond probably with disgust. What makes the difference? It all depends on what your frame of mind is at the time. And that's my point. We must take control of our frame of mind. We must react with calm or we can react with panic. We can move forward in trust or, or shrivel in dis- depression or in anxiety. Folks, when facing the times of difficulty, it's important and this is in your outline there, we must respond with reason rather than emotion. We must take this decision, or make this decision, excuse me, a conscious one. And in times of difficulty, I believe it helps to remind yourself of the truth about God. Number one, he's in control. Number two, he is good. He doesn't make mistakes. Number three, he loves me in Christ Jesus. And number four, God has promised to see us through whatever happens. And so the question we must ask ourselves, do we believe God? And if so, then we we can relax in the confidence that things are under his control. And if we don't, then we have serious problems. I would add a caution here. Sometimes this is not something that we can do alone. Sometimes we do not think clearly. Sometimes we need the truth affirmed by others. And sometimes we need to let others remind us 
of God's love through their actions. And that's been happening the last several days for Joanne and I. We don't have to go it alone. Praise God. The second principle, or B, peace is not about doing more, but about trusting more completely. We are always prone to, uh, to look for a form- formula. Even the counsel I just shared needs to be seen in the light of the fact that peace comes from trusting, not from pushing the right buttons. When, when difficult times come, we are prone to run from God rather than to Him. We will become, I think, more frantic in our living and, and we'll find ourselves withdrawing if we run from Him. Our best response in difficult times is to be quiet before Him and seek His perspective. We read in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, You will keep Him... You will keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. First, you you need to see that perfect peace in the Hebrew really reads peace, peace. Perfect peace, as, as we have it translated in idiom. It is peace underlined or peace in the highest degree. And this peace comes... To those whose mind is steadfast, the scripture says. And the word steadfast means to lean, to rest, to support. And if we put it together, we find that folks, that supreme peace, 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 comes to the person whose frame of mind is built on their trust in the Lord God himself. In chaotic times, We must learn to lean on him more completely. We worry, we fret, because we don't really believe God when he says he will take care of us. And peace comes as a result of the truth. Truth is not the result of peace. Now, this may seem an irrelevant classification, excuse me, clarification, but I think it is very important. In our quest to find peace, we must make peace the primary goal. You know, we can do that, can't we? We want, we want peace, the peace of God in our lives, and so we seek it as our primary goal. And what happens is that we, we may begin to evaluate truth on the basis of our emotions rather than evaluating our emotions by the truth. Meaning that we can get 
to the point we, we have to conclude that everything which begins, which brings, brings him peace of any sort must be the truth. And many have done this. For example, the person who is at peace about living, uh, leaving their mate. Or the person who is at peace with their dishonest business practices. Or the person who, who sees nothing wrong in the grudge that they are holding. Or the person who doesn't have a problem with a couple living together outside of marriage. Or the person who justifies their drug use by, by the sense of calm that comes over them. We, we tend to define God's peace in our lives through how we're feeling. They're measuring truth by experience instead of the other way around. It is possible to have a false peace. It is possible to have a peace because, you know, to have a peace because we have deadened our conscience and, and not because we are walking with God. We've got to be careful of that. Because this kind of peace is temporary. And it's very destructive because it can lull us right into the gates of hell. We must look to the truth for our confidence and not our feelings. Steve Brown writes, Have you ever heard those Christians who say they, they, know how God's, they know God's will because they feel peace about it. I don't want to say that this, that isn't the way to know God's will, but let me tell you about my experience. Steve Brown says, I have never felt peace about anything that was God's will. Think about that. In fact... The place of my greatest turmoil and conflict has often come when I was in God's will. So we must tell ourselves, folks, the truth and then the emotions will follow and not the other way around. So where do you begin? The place to begin. For the believer, I pointed out that for us to know God's peace, we must begin to be honest about the struggles of life. That we need to think before we react. Because we choose how we respond. And for the believer, we need to rest rather than run. And for the believer... We need to seek truth rather than feeling because truth evaluates feeling and not the other way around. But uh, for some, the issue is even more basic, isn't it? Perhaps there's someone here today that cannot rest in the truth of the gospel until you've come to the point of acknowledging Jesus Christ as your forgiver and your leader.
Perhaps there's someone here this morning that you cannot know peace until you admit your failure. Your failure before others and most of all, before God. Peace begins at the cross. And when Jesus took God's wrath for our sin, he made it possible for people who deserve judgment to, uh, to be set free. And that includes everyone. You cannot manufacture this kind of peace. It comes out of a relationship with Jesus. And so I ask you this morning, do you have such a relationship? Have you stopped bluffing and admitted the need to be changed? I hope so. Have you understood that Christ came to earth and died on the cross to to pay for your rebellion? Do you understand that his resurrection is proof that the payment was sufficient? And so I ask you, are you willing to trust this Jesus for your eternal destiny and your present living? And if so, I want you to give your life to Jesus and you will know what it means to have peace with God. Once you've made that first step, you're on the road to peace in every circumstance of life. And that's good news. Steve Brown, once again, I quote him as he suggests that the reason God allows Christians and non-Christians to face many of the same trials It's because he wants the world to be able to see the difference in how we respond. You know, Steve may be right. And so I ask you, does the world see the difference in you? Let's pray. God in heaven, Oh, how wonderful is that peace that you bring to us as we come to you and seek your guidance and place our confidence in you. Oh God, may it be so. Help each of us this day in understanding more about peace in our lives and to come to a more genuine understanding and following. In the name of Jesus, amen.